Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Next week, we're going to have a very special service here, one you do not want to miss, our annual Thanksgiving service, where we take some time to hear testimonies from those in our congregation who uh, have been especially blessed by our God over the last year. So we'll hear from several individuals from our community and also hear a message from Pastor Brian. So that'll be next Sunday. And uh, the Sunday after that, we will resume our sermon series on 1 Peter that we departed from a couple months ago. I think we're resuming with chapter 3. So on November 30th, we will pick up with that series. Today, we are finishing our series called Life Together, Life in a Changing Community. What we've been doing here over the last several weeks is looking at Scripture to consider the wisdom of God and helping us as a community adjust to the changes that have been taking place here in our church. And uh, we've been considering a number of different topics like the way we use our spiritual gifts and service to the community, the way we use our money, the way we use our words to build each other up, the way we care for one another and develop relationships and friendships through small groups is what we talked about last week. And we have one last topic to cover. And this topic is very important because if we don't get this topic right, if this is a topic that we don't take seriously, it'll undo everything that we've talked about so far in this sermon series. It won't really matter how much money we give or how many friends we have or what spiritual gifts we use in service to this church if we don't have an interest and a commitment to the topic that we're talking about this morning. And that topic is forgiveness. We, as God's people, need to be and are called to be a forgiving people. Now, of course, this applies to marriage relationships, work relationships, friendships, but this morning we're thinking mostly about the church and God's call to us as a community to be a forgiving people. Because here's what often happens. We come to church, we get involved, we come on Sunday mornings, we get in a life group, we serve in a ministry. And then somebody's rude to us. Somebody overlooks us. Somebody disappoints us somehow. Or they're rude to or disappoint our spouse or our children. And the response is to be, to be hurt by that, to be offended. And maybe understandably so. But here's what happens often. We get offended, and what do we do? We become obsessed with what we're offended about. We hit rewind and play, and we view the incident over and over and over again. And our heart begins to get hard. We begin to develop an extreme dislike for this other person. So we're walking down the foyer and we see that person coming our way and we go the other way. We hear of a church function that we'd kind of like to go to, but then we hear that that person's going to be there. So we don't go. We get to a point when we don't even want to be in the same room with this person that we call a brother 
or a sister in Christ. We don't want to be in the same room with a person for whom Jesus died and shed his blood. We don't want to be in the same room with a person with whom we are going to be spending all eternity in perfect fellowship. Well, the same problem occurred in Paul's day. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in the first century, and he gives some very specific instructions to people who struggle to forgive, to people who have a hard time getting along with one another. And that's what we're going to read here in chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, just these two verses. So let's stand and hear from the Word of God as the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. Chapter 4, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God in heaven, would you please open our eyes and hearts to behold wonderful things in this scripture, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just two things that we're going to consider this morning, and these are things that I would urge you all to consider and keep in mind as we approach the Lord's table um, later this morning. These things will be relevant for that. Uh, the first point that we're going to consider is this. What Paul says is that in order for us to be a forgiving people, to forgive one another, there are certain attitudes that you must be willing to put away. That word put away, we might think of that in terms of kind of like abstaining. You must abstain from certain attitudes. You know, a, a teetotaler is one who abstains from alcohol. A vegetarian is one who abstains from eating meat. Uh, typically a Jewish person will abstain from eating pork. You know, these are things they will not do under any circumstance. And what Paul is saying here is that you need to put away, do you see that in verse 31, at the end of the verse, all these things, they need to be put away. You must abstain from these things. And then he gives a list of a number of attitudes. And the first one is bitterness. Abstain from bitterness. Put away bitterness. Bitterness is like a, an inward, negative, cynical, sour attitude. It's a resentful spirit towards someone that refuses to be reconciled. That's, that's bitterness. This is primarily something that's only going on in your heart. It hasn't found outward expression yet. It's something inside, and it's something that will eat you up and destroy you if you allow it to. Most of you know who Nelson Mandela is. He fought the apartheid government structure in South Africa, and because of his views was imprisoned for 27 years. This man put in prison for his views for 27 years, released in 1990, and he said this, as I walked out the door of this prison toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness behind, I'd still be in prison. 
bitterness will imprison you. And so Paul says, abstain from it, put it away. Then he goes on to the next attitude. Now, this is bitterness that finds outward expression, wrath, anger. I'm putting these two together because they're often coupled together in the scriptures. They, They mean largely the same thing. This is just a personal animosity that has now found outward expression. You've directed now your bitterness toward somebody. One person has cleverly pointed out that if you look at the way the word anger is spelled, you will notice that it's one letter short of danger. Anger unchecked. There is a righteous anger. The Bible does talk about that. But anger rooted in bitterness can be dangerous. Paul mentions also clamor. Now, clamor is, again, I think we're seeing an escalation here of this attitude, bitterness inward, wrath and anger outward. Now, clamor, or brawling, as the NIV translates it, this is just when you feel this need to make sure that your views are known, and you are going to yell if you have to, to make sure that your bitterness and your wrath and your anger are known. Uh, Sometimes you see these news programs on TV, on Fox News in particular, and CNN, and you see these people talking about some political issue, and one person talks, and then the other person talks, and then the other person gets louder, and then the other person gets louder, and they just keep talking, and they're talking. There's two and three people talking at the same time, and they're all trying to talk over each other, and nobody can understand what anybody is saying. That's clamor. And Paul says you need to abstain from that in the church. Then Paul moves to slander. Now we're not just angry and bitter. We're not just talking over one another, but we're going to other people, and we're starting to say very negative things about people. Actually, that Greek word for slander is blasphemia. Same word we use for blaspheme, blasphemous. I think we know what that is, to speak words that would defame the character of God. Slander is when we speak words that defame the character of God a reputation of our brothers and sisters. And then the last item mentioned in this list is malice in verse 31. All these things put away along with all malice. And this is a sense of ill will. This is when in your heart you're starting to plot against somebody. You're starting to wish harm upon them. You know, we hear about these school shootings And then sometimes you'll hear that a school shooting plot has been foiled. You know, they'll find somebody and they'll see the notes that the person's written and they'll see that that person actually had plans to do something, but they catch it in time. Well, what malice is talking about is the way we do that in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters. I mean, we're not planning to shoot them, I hope, but we're hoping the worst for them. We're thinking the most negative things we can about them, and we would be delighted if they were brought down somehow. That's malice. That's what a lot of the Pharisees did. When they heard Jesus talk, they began to plot to kill him. In their hearts, they started making plans. This is the list of the attitudes that Paul gives us that we must abstain from, we must put away in the church. And so my question to you, friends, brothers and sisters, here at New Life, as you look around and you consider the people in this church, is there bitterness in your heart? Is there wrath and anger? toward others in this church? 
Is there clamor going on in your relationships? Are you slandering? Is there malice in your heart? The command of the Scripture is to put it away. Repent of it. Abstain from it. But Paul doesn't just leave it at that. He says that these attitudes that we put away need to be displaced. In other words, we need to replace the vacuum. I mean, if we are able to put away these negative emotions, something positive has to take its place. The book, The Peacemaker, which I've talked about quite a lot by Ken Sandy, he talks about something called the replacement principle, which is simply that when hostility is removed from your heart, it must be replaced with kindness. And so you'll see that Paul goes on at the start of verse 32 and says, now be kind to one another. It's not just putting off the negative, it's putting on the positive. And, and you, you need to do this because if you don't, your heart will just coast and tumble right back down into the bitterness and wrath and anger and slander that you thought you got rid of. It's like when you pull up weeds in your backyard. If you pull up those weeds and then go away and leave the yard untreated, I guarantee you those weeds are growing back. And the weeds of bitterness will grow back in your heart if you don't pursue this replacement principle. You're seeking to put something else in your heart. And the way that can happen is something very simpler. It's just instead of when you're walking down the foyer and you see that person, instead of going the other way, maybe you keep going and you just say hello. Good morning. I'm not saying you've got to take them out to lunch that week. Say hello. That's not that hard. Maybe next time you're in that conversation with somebody, you're tempted to slander, you're tempted to be clamorous. Instead, you say something, something nice, something positive about that person. You know, you're not saying it to the person. Maybe that would be hard to do. So say it to somebody else. And you'll find your heart beginning to respond. You'll find your heart beginning to soften. And that's very important because that's what Paul calls on us to do next in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. I mean, that's probably the most challenging of all of these actions, these tasks that are listed here, isn't it? Because what Paul is saying here is, I'm not just saying go out and act like you're kind. I'm not saying just go out and go through the motions in your relationship with others. I'm saying that you've got to have a certain attitude in your heart toward your brothers and sisters. And it's an attitude of tenderness. A tender heart, you know, anybody can go out and pretend outwardly to be kind, but to have a tender heart to that person who offended you and overlooked you and disappointed you, that's really hard. How are you going to replace your heart of bitterness with a heart of tenderness? And that leads us to the second point. In order to forgive, there is... Not only certain attitudes you must put away, but there is a gospel that you must believe and embrace and relish. And that's what Paul talks about here. He continues in verse 32. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, he says, as God in Christ forgave you. I think one of the most important words in that verse is the smallest word, in the whole sentence, as. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgive you. 
forgave you. It doesn't say forgiving one another because God in Christ forgave you. I mean, that would be strong enough, but if that's what it said, then we could say, well, okay, Jesus forgave me, so I guess I have to forgive others, but I can decide how I forgive others and to what degree I forgive others. But what this says is that we are called to forgive in a way that is like, that resembles the forgiveness that God has given to us in Christ. That there's, this is a, a statement of quantity, of kind. The kind of forgiveness that you and I need to extend is a forgiveness that resembles the forgiveness found in the gospel. Now, let me try to illustrate that for you by going to the best place in the scriptures that I know to go to, and that is Matthew 18. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story. I'm sure many of you know. I've preached on this before. But here's the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18. He says, there was a king, and this king decided to settle all the debts, all the debts that were owed to him by his servants. And there was one particular servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, equivalent to what that is worth today is something that is impossible to calculate. It's an exorbitant amount. It's millions upon millions of dollars in today's terms. This servant owes the king an amount that is impossible to calculate. And that servant, upon being approached by the king, pleads with the king and says, oh, please forgive me. And the king, in mercy and grace, responds and says, your debts are forgiven. And the story goes on. That servant, who just had that large debt forgiven, he goes and he finds another servant. And that servant owes him just a fraction just a tiny fraction of the debt that was just forgiven this first servant. And the second servant who, owns this, who owes this small debt, he goes to the first servant, and he says the exact same thing to the first servant that the first servant said to the king. He says, please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. And the servant responds by saying, no. He begins to choke him and he throws him in prison. And then word gets back to the king about how this first servant has responded to his fellow servant. And here's what it says at the end of the parable. Then his master summoned him, that servant, that first servant, and he says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, and there's that word, as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't your disposition to forgive that servant been similar to the disposition I displayed towards you when you pleaded with me for mercy? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And do you catch the weight of what that last sentence is saying? The implication here is this. If you're not a forgiving person, 
you're not a forgiven person. It's not saying that you forgive perfectly all the time. It's not saying that you don't struggle with anger and bitterness. But if your life is not characterized by an attitude of forgiveness toward others, there is evidence that you might not be a Christian. You might not really know and understand the gospel. Because here's what the, the two quick principles that come out of this parable. The first is this, the forgiveness given to you in the gospel is impossible to calculate. Just like that debt, 10,000 talents, is impossible to calculate from the parable, so the debt that God canceled for you, Christian, is impossible to fathom. It's beyond comprehension. The Evangelism Explosion Program used to give a really good illustration of this to kind of put this in perspective, so I'm going to share this with you. It goes like this. It says, let's just say that um, you sin three times a day. Now, that's a pretty low estimate, I would say. I know it is for me. That's a low estimate, but just for the sake of the illustration, let's say three sins a day. Well, there's 365 days in the year, right? So 365 times three is 1,095. 1,095 sins in one year. Average life expectancy, I checked it on the internet, in North America is about 77 years now. So we'll multiply 77 times 1,095, and that equals 84,135 cents at the end of your life that you're responsible for, that are on your account. And they're not just tiny, insignificant sins. Here's how R.C. Sproul defines even the smallest sin. The slightest sin is an act of defiance against cosmic authority. It's a revolutionary act, a rebellious act where we are setting ourselves in opposition to the one to whom we owe everything. And you've got 84,000 of those on your account. You might say, Yeah, that sounds pretty stiff, but, you know, my sins are actually a lot more than that. You might say a lot of the sins that I've committed are a lot more serious than that. The promise of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life and shed blood to forgive every one of those sins. That if you trust him and believe upon him, the promise of the gospel is that they are all pardoned. You are fully cleansed. You are totally washed. These sins are no longer on your account, and you are fully, completely, unreservedly, and totally forgiven. That entire debt has been wiped away. That's the promise of the gospel. That's what the gospel is saying the debt that was impossible to calculate, is gone. And so, the second principle that follows on that is simply this. The forgiveness given to you, then, in the gospel should be the measure of the forgiveness you extend to others. In other words, the forgiveness that you extend to others should also be impossible to calculate. My question to you, friends, is this. Does your willingness to forgive others give evidence 
that you know this gospel and that you've been forgiven? Does your disposition to forgive give evidence that you have been forgiven? Friends, I'm not telling you these things to make you feel guilty and to bang you over the head with your lack of forgiveness. I want you to go to the gospel. I want you to flee to the gospel. I want you to go back to it and think about it and meditate on it and think about what it actually means and relish the debt that is now wiped away and to exult in the free grace and forgiveness and mercy that are yours in Christ so that you can sing with all your heart and in all sincerity, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? How could that be? How can that be? My debt was so incalculable. How can it be that he would do that? But he did it. And you're loved and you're accepted and you're forgiven. So friends, can't you forgive others? Can't you do that? given what the gospel has declared. There's a British writer named Marganita Lasky. I think that's her name, Marganita Lasky. She's been an avowed atheist all her life. She actually died in 1988. <clears throat> and shortly before she died, she was interviewed on British television. And uh, again, an avowed atheist all her life. And yet she said this, what I envy about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me. Let me encourage you, friends, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to know that there is one who will forgive you. All of your debt. If you turn from your sin and turn to him. His name is Jesus. Believe in him. Put your faith in him. And he will forgive you. And if you are a Christian and your heart has been full of bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and malice, I say to you, there is someone who will forgive you too. And his name is Jesus. Turn from your bitterness. Turn to Jesus. Believe upon him, and he will wipe away your debt as well. And in response, go and forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. God, we are overwhelmed, overwhelmed by your mercy, by your grace. We deserve none of it. You have given us everything you have to give. We are grateful. Please make us in response a forgiving people. In Jesus' name.